This episode is brought to you by 2 Before Performance Nutrition. 2 Before is a natural sports performance supplement made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. There's a growing body of evidence behind these berries for improving endurance and kickstarting recovery. With a sweet and tangy berry flavor, you can mix it in water, juice, sports drinks, and smoothies. For optimal results, drink daily 30 to 60 minutes before training. Use code INDIANA30 online at 2before.com for 30% off 20-pack products and free shipping. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Indiana Runner podcast. My name is Josh Puccinelli, and this is my portion of the podcast where I sit down with some of the best coaches and athletes from around the state, past and present. We discuss the highs and lows of their running or coaching journeys, the key insights they've gained along the way, and often dive into the bigger picture beyond the course of the track, the things that make them human, not just elite runners or coaches. The following is an interview with Eric Hines. Eric is the new head cross-country and associate track and field coach for IU. During this interview, we cover Eric's start in the sport, his own running journey from Zanesville, Ohio, to the University of Cincinnati, to IU, his coaching journey from a volunteer assistant at IU, to 2016 cross-country coach of the year at NAU, now back to IU, and everything in between, his coaching philosophy, recruiting, what he enjoys outside of coaching, and much more. It was very clear that Eric is passionate about being the best coach he can possibly be and seeing his athletes have as much success as possible. He has a lot of great insight into training, culture, recruiting, developing a program, and more. Again, thank you guys for listening to and supporting this podcast. As always, hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, I give you Eric Hines. All right, Eric, welcome to the Indian Runner podcast. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. How's uh, the fall kicking off for you? I think it's gone really well. You know, it has two meets under our belt and both have been relatively low key for us, I'd say. And that was kind of by design to, you know, each meet gets a little bit more intense and more pressurized, so to speak. And uh, yeah, it's going really well. That's awesome. Um, are you a football fan? I am a football fan. Yes. Okay. I always yeah. forget that like football season's back up and running. Uh, it's a Thursday night. I don't know if you're, you're missing uh, the NFL game. That so when I say I'm a fan, I just like to watch, you know, and I'm not uh unfortunately I'm a Bears fan. Mm-hmm. And so haven't had anything to cheer about for a while there. And college sports, I just love college football. Again, same thing. I don't really have a team that I'm I guess gonna stay up late to watch, but if it's on, I like to watch it. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Do you play fantasy football at all? No, I have never gotten into that. And okay. I've all part of the reason is I just don't follow it enough to the players and then I would usually just cheer for my team, the Bears, and I wouldn't want to get get involved in trying to cheer against them. So I just I've never gotten into fantasy. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, do you think uh, Justin Fields is the one? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think so. You know, uh, I, I think he had a decent career at Ohio State, but even when they drafted him, I, I didn't think he was the the right fit for for Chicago. Yeah, now they're trying to turn him into someone he's not, kind of, and yeah, I don't know if it's going to work out or not. Yeah, we'll see. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking time to do this. We kick off each episode with what's called tier talk. So we rank our top three in a certain category. This is, this week's category is if you could be the Guinness World Record holder in anything, what would be your top three categories? You want me to go first or you want to go first? Well, yeah, I'll let you go first. Yeah. All right. So my number three, um, I don't know how I came up with these three, but there's the three that came to mind first. Number three would be the longest tightrope walk. 
So the, I don't know if you've ever seen those, like the specials where guys will walk across like, I don't know, like waterfalls. Grand Canyon. Or, yeah. Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, if I had the nerve to do that, I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Number two, highest free fall. I think that'd oh. be a pretty insane experience. So if I could do that, I haven't even gone skydiving, but <laughs> yeah, let's go for the top, you know? Mm-hmm. And then number one, this is a running podcast after all. So the longest continuous run. I think that would yeah. be pretty unreal experience running. So I think the record is like 300 and something miles continuously. Just oh, insane. But well, what, what's your personal record right now? Uh, 17. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's uh, yours? Uh, well, I got lost in the mountains of uh, Flagstaff. And I think it ended up being 26 miles, but it was a training run. And I got lost at the top of Mount Eldon. And by the time I got down, I was on the other side of Mount Eldon from where I lived. So I had to run all the way around. I knew where I was at, but I knew it was going to be another seven miles to get home. And, you know, this was just running with a Timex. I didn't have a GPS back then. So I have a feeling it was it was a marathon and a training run. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How much did you plan to run that day? I think that was going to be, it was probably an 18 mile run that I was planning right. on going. Yeah. So it was okay. a long run, but still, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh what about you? What would you Okay. Want? So yeah. Luckily, um you gave me a, a heads up on this because I wouldn't have been able to pull this off from the hip. Uh yeah. but <laughs> as I thought about it, I would love to have the Guinness Book World Records in most free throws made in a row. Oh, I like that. I uh I grew up playing basketball and I thought that would be a pretty neat uh record to have. And another one, I'm not a good golfer and I don't even enjoy going out golfing very often, but I thought, man, if you ever go out and you hit a long drive, that's such a great feeling. So next one I had on the list would be the world's Guinness, Guinness book world record of a uh, long drive. Nice. Uh, again, I don't know what it is, but if I could crush one out the furthest of in, in, the, in the world, I'd take that. Um, and then my last one, I'm a, I'm a big fly fisher. So I like to, when we lived in Houston, I got out and started fishing for uh, redfish in Galveston Bay. So if I could catch the largest redfish on a fly, that would be my third uh, world record that I'd love to have. Okay. How big are redfish? Well, they get to be 20 to 28 inches and you can take them and eat them. They get above, they get to be 40 inches. I mean, they're, they can be massive. That's cool. Yeah. Do you fit, have you fished around here yet? No, it's been so busy. I mean, once yeah, we got man. here in July, it's just been nonstop. So I, our multis coach is a big, he, fishes competitively uh for, on oh, wow. occasion jake wiseman so i'd need to get him to take me out but i just haven't had time yet yeah absolutely that's cool all right so our second icebreaker is what's called car thoughts so these are kind of the thoughts you have when you're running driving showering when you're those moments when you're alone uh i can go first with my serious one so i was in the car with my girlfriend we were like parked um and the song came on. It's called Call Your Mom by Noah Khan, featuring Lizzie McAlpine. And it's a song I'd heard before a couple of times. And I just thought it was like a, a pretty like song as a, a good listen. Uh, but we listened to like the lyrics closer and closer. And it's like it's about a pretty serious topic. It's about suicide and like giving life a chance and has some like, really beautiful lines and like deep messages in it. And it just got me thinking about those moments in life where, like, whether it be a song, a conversation, a moment, uh, maybe it's even just like a show or a movie or things like that, where 
I don't know, it kind of just brings you out of the the mundane of life. It reminds you of just like the bigger things of life. Like we were about to go grocery shopping. Yeah. Um, it was a Sunday. I was stressed about the next week and things like mm-hmm. that. It's just those moments that bring you out of that and just thinking about kind of yeah, just the bigger things of life. So that was yeah. kind of on my mind over the past couple of days. And then re-listening to that song a bunch as well. And then my not so serious car thought is do pets view themselves as the masters over us? I don't know if you have any pets. I have <laughs> two cats. I just wonder, like, because we, like, obviously we are their owners, but we do everything that they need to, like, survive and basically whatever they want. Like, do they view view themselves as the masters over us? Something I've been thinking about <laughs> over the past week. So yeah, those are my, that, my car thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a pet person. We do have a cat. That's more for my wife and son. So don't have many thoughts on that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one, your your icebreaker, this one definitely had me, uh, this one threw me for a loop though, because honestly, as I'm thinking about that, is especially for the past uh, three months, my car thoughts are constantly thinking about work, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I, it is, uh, so I lived in Louisville and we actually lived 30 miles outside of campus. We lived in Taylorsville. So my commute was 45 minutes every day. So I would have sports podcast on or sports radio talk shows and just constantly listen about Louisville athletics, which was kind of neat. And that would kind of take my brain off of what Mm -hmm. was going on. Um, But here are my commutes, 10 minutes, uh, which I love. Uh, But, you know, so I get in the car and I'm thinking about, okay, what's the workout? Uh, What's recruiting? Who who do I need to call? Who's Mm. coming in this weekend? How's the team doing? Everyone healthy? What do I do? What's, what's the plan for next week? So Right now, unfortunately, my car thoughts aren't as entertaining as yours. I mean, it's just kind of constantly thinking about the job right now. Yeah. I mean, th- those are important thoughts. Like, yeah. it's a different kind of thought, but definitely very important as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to we're going to go through your background. We're, we got some different questions about coaching, running, all kinds of good stuff. But we always start from the beginning uh, with your own career. So how... Did you get your start in running? How did you get interested yeah. in the sport? Were you doing other things when you were younger? What were the beginnings like? Yeah, I still remember this. I, it was sixth grade, and we did the mile test, the mile fitness test. And I don't know the exact time. But it was around six minutes, or maybe I broke seven minutes. So a, high, a classmate of mine, his mom was a high school PE teacher, and he went and told her what I ran. She told a friend that's a private coach and said, Hey, that's pretty good time for a sixth grader. So at that point I started to run the summer series. So, um, the USATF, some, some of that stuff and some other, um, I forget what the other one was at that time. Um, but we did a lot of the summer racing. And so I got into at that point, but I still loved soccer and basketball uh, much more than running, but I still took it serious. I was competitive and I knew that I had some ability at it. So, Six grade on, I was always doing some some sort of running. Were you doing any other sports or any other activities at this time? Or? Yeah, sixth, seventh grade, middle school. Um, we didn't have a cross-country team, so I would play soccer in the fall and then basketball and then run track in uh, the spring. And I, I still remember looking up to the high school records, and I saw that they had a 1600 and a 3200. And I thought, oh, well. I'll run the 1600. There's no way I'm going to run the 3200. <laughs> and then I get to high school and I school record holder on a 3200. And then I think, well, I'm, I'll go and run in college, but I'm not going to run the 10 K that's way too far. Mm-hmm. And then I started to realize the longer the race went, the better I got. 
Nice. Um, so you grew up in Ohio or you went yeah. to high school in Ohio. Did you grow up in Ohio as well? Yeah, I grew up in three parts of Ohio, Toledo, which well, obviously people might know Toledo, but then uh, right outside of Dayton, we moved to Miamisburg and then Zanesville, which is Southeast, um, just about an hour away from Columbus. So ultimately, yeah, finished, uh, finished middle school and high school there in Zanesville, Ohio. Okay. So now having been like all across the country for, for coaching gigs and running and different things, like how does Ohio running and running culture compare to maybe to Indiana, but then also to other places you've been in the country? Yeah, that's, you know, it's kind of an interesting question because my time running in Ohio, high school, we didn't have cross country. So I would play soccer in the fall and I ran one cross country race in high school and, you know, I've probably kicking myself years down the road because it was a district meet made it to regionals. And then I had a soccer game, so I didn't go to the regional meet. So I never made it to the state meet if I could have or not. But, um, so my running culture in that area was just myself and a few other people. And, you know, people laughed at me cause I would, I'd play basketball and I we'd have a timeout from practice and I would run to the water fountain and I would run back and people were like, what are you running for? You know, we're supposed to take a break. Um, I would, I'd go to the gym with friends and it was a seven mile run from our house to the gym. And so I would lift with my friend and then he would drive home and I would run home and he would just look at me like I was crazy. So definitely didn't, you know, grow up with a ton of people around me running, uh, but had a good enough group that, you know, we enjoyed it. Uh, Cincinnati coach near at the time, he was the one that recruited me to Cincinnati and the running culture there. Um, that's where I kind of really got ingrained into it that, you know, we, recruited he recruited the state of ohio mainly you know didn't have a lot of kids from outside of the state didn't have a lot of scholarship money to spread outside the state so it was mainly you know developmental type guys from ohio that were just willing to run hard and run a lot and and work at it yeah was there a point that you like really fell in love with the sport or was it kind of a gradual progression through your career yeah somewhat of a progression but i do remember my sister makes fun of me for this because we had a article in our local newspaper talking about us I forget what it, what the story was or what we had just done but the both of us were running and had maybe both set a record and my quote in there was I don't like to run I just do it because I'm good at it <laughs> and so she always makes fun of me for saying that um, but then when I got to college I, again I think that's where I started to realize you know there is some fun in it like that when you train and you're pushing yourself, like just that feeling that you get afterwards and that you know that, okay, I can get faster if I do X, Y, and Z. Uh, so I think that seeing the results from the work started to increase the passion for me. Yeah, for sure. I feel like there, even though you were kind of joking with your statement, I feel like there is definitely some truth to that. Like even across like multiple areas of life that, I mean, it, it's hard to really enjoy something if you're bad at it. Like, you can like start bad if you see the progression and you're getting better. There's some enjoyment in that for sure. But I don't know. Like it can be a kind of fine line between like being good at something and enjoying it as well. Very true. Um, yeah. So you'd go on to, like you said, to Cincinnati. Um, where all were you considering? Was that kind of a top choice for you? Yeah. My so again, I wasn't really highly recruited. So for me, I was looking in the state of Ohio in that um I had different ideas based on what I wanted to study. So when I looked at, uh, I think I went up to Bowling Green and, you know, Bowling Green, 
I think they had a really good exercise science department. So if I went there, I wanted to study exercise science. And then I looked at Cincinnati and I, I thought, well, if I go here, I want to go into engineering. And then I even, with my mom, we drove over to Indiana and we looked at Indiana. And I thought, well, if I can somehow go to Indiana, I'll go into business. Um, and ultimately, yeah, since I chose Cincinnati, one, because they actually had a spot for me, um, you know, offered me a roster spot where, you know, I think Bowling Green probably did too. Uh, Indiana discouraged me from, you know, coming out there. I Funny story about that. Again, I told you I was playing soccer for most of my high school and I thought, oh, I'll just go talk to this soccer coach at Indiana. And now that I'm in the role that I'm at now, I can't believe that the coach even met with me because <laughs> I was a nobody. I had no business meeting with him. And he sits down with me and he says, Eric, my job is to discourage you from doing this. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, we are Indiana soccer. We're going to take the best of the best. And then we're going to take the best out of that. So I appreciate you coming to visit, but there's, you know, this is not a spot for you. So I appreciate them even meeting with me. Like I said, now I'm in that same boat where, you know, I try to do my best if kids email me and reach out to at least tell them, Hey, these are the standards we're looking for. You know, mm -hmm. it probably wouldn't be a great fit. Um, so again, yeah, I ended up at Cincinnati because they offered me a roster spot. I thought I wouldn't be an engineer. Um, ultimately that's not how it ended up, but I'm really glad with the choice that I did make. Yeah. So how did things progress? Maybe you could talk about like running and then also career at Cincinnati. Yeah. So first we were on quarters. And so my first quarter, I had a calculus class and I got a D in calculus. And then the second quarter, they added physics to my schedule. So now I got an F in calculus and a D in physics. <laughs> and so I realized that I'm not going to be an engineer if I can't pass these classes. And so at that point, I went and talked to Coach Bill Schneer and I told him what was going on. And I was worried about the classes, the class schedule. And I told him I had talked to an advisor about going into health promotion and education, that I've always been, you know, a huge fan of athletics, always been involved with athletics. I've usually been a team captain or a leader. And could I get into coaching? And he sat, you know, he looked at me and he said, Eric, just so you know, coaching is not all about holding a stopwatch and writing workouts. And I said, oh, okay, well, you know, at that time, I still didn't understand what he meant, but I figured, okay, yeah, sure. You got to fill out some paperwork here and there. It can't be that bad. <laughs> um, and so he had gone to Indiana as a grad graduate student. And I think he volunteered to work for Sam Bell at the time. And so when I got to that point of going to graduate school, I kind of followed in his footsteps. I thought, well, if it worked for him, this should be a good step for me to take. So progressing through running at Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a great experience just because of the, again, the group of guys that we had there were all very similar. Um, we weren't necessarily highly recruited. We just kind of had a chip on our shoulder and, you know, it was a, a neat time to be there. Um, football wasn't great, but basketball was top two in the country a lot of times. And so the shoemaker center was, was usually sold out. So it was, it was a fun experience for sure. That's cool. Did you feel like after you made that shift away from engineering, did you feel good about it? Like, was it, this is what you're meant to do or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was unfortunate because I had roommates that were in engineering and, you know, to see them be successful in it, um, it was more, maybe a little frustrating that I couldn't figure that stuff out. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I, the stress was gone and, you know, grades went back up because I was taking classes I understood, started to take exercise science classes. And I thought, oh, I can 
I can apply this stuff to running and get an understanding of how the body actually works and why we're doing certain things. Mm. And so that's, again, yeah, I think that really helped me enjoy my major as well. Yeah, definitely. So like you said, you, after you graduated from Cincinnati, you did up at IU for your master's. How did that come about? Yeah. So my fourth year at Cincinnati, the administration had cut men's indoor track. And so I had a fifth year of eligibility due to that. And like I told you, the my coach, Bill Schneer, had gone to Indiana, got his master's degree, and that's how he got into coaching. And so I thought, well, you know, both my parents went to IU. It's always been a dream. You know, I think for one of us, myself, a brother or sister, like somebody to go to IU. I grew up in a, you know, my dad had IU stuff all over the basement. So uh, it was just kind of a, a dream to to go to school there and then to make you know, an opportunity to run for the team. So I talked to Coach Chapman at the time. Uh, Dr. Chapman is still a professor on campus and works at USA Track and Field as well. Um, I talked to him if I could come out for the team. And I think I had a, you know, mid to low 1440s 5K and it was good enough to give me a spot. And I told him my plan was to come there, get a master's degree, run for a year and then volunteer if he would let me. And he agreed to it. So that's really how I ended up out there is just the fact that I was able to run and I was going to be able to volunteer coach once I was done with my eligibility. Okay. So at that point you knew that you wanted to get into coaching. Yeah. Yep. Again, I kind of had that idea back that freshman year when I failed out of engineering that I was going to go down this road and um, I really wanted to be involved in athletics. And I was hoping that coaching was going to be the way. This episode is brought to you by Olipop. Olipop is a healthy and delicious alternative to soda. Available in 14 flavors, including cherry vanilla, cream soda, and my personal favorite, classic root beer, Olipop combines prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanical extracts to support your digestive health with less than 5 grams of sugar and 45 calories in each can. Indiana Runner Podcast listeners can get 15% off at checkout with code IRPODCAST15. If you'd like to support the podcast and are looking for a healthy and delicious alternative to soda, Check out Olipop today. So how was the transition over to IU? Was it what you expected? Yeah, it was actually probably better than I expected. I, you know, had left a lot of good friends at Cincinnati, but again, I had graduated, so I was moving on. Um, and we, again, we still didn't have indoor track, so I didn't necessarily feel bad about leaving with the eligibility. I, you know, I felt like I was going to take an opportunity to utilize my fifth year. So I did that. I got put into a apartment with a couple of guys that were on the team. So that worked out really well and then made a bunch of lifelong friends. And, you know, just last night we actually did a zoom call for alumni uh, just to introduce the new staff and try to get people involved and supporting the program and invite people back. And to see a lot of those guys that I was on the team with, you know, on the call and then text me afterwards saying how excited they were. Um, Yeah. I think, like I said, it was a really really a smooth transition. And then to run for Dr. Chapman and work with him. I mean, that was worth its weight in gold just because, you know, I really give him credit for, he explains training the way I'd never understood it, you know? And so I've always been somebody that just, I would run hard and coach near would, he was a motivator. So he would get me really motivated and I would go and run hard and, but I never really understood what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, to sit down with coach Chapman and listen to him talk. And he had a, a couple of different presentations that he would do the physiology side and then how to apply it to training. Um, it just really made sense to me. And, and I appreciated that so much. 
Yeah. So was he giving you that information like while you were on the team or as a volunteer? Assistant? He was one. Yeah. So, I mean, he would tell us what we were doing and why we were doing it. And he would do, you know, again, he is a scientist. So he would, he would put us on our, the treadmill and get our VO2 max and he would be studying us throughout the year. Uh, so a lot of it, it might be even, you know, I remember a couple of classroom sessions where we would have a team meeting and he would be in there talking about training and why we're going to do it and what, what the effort's supposed to be. Um, and then, yeah, he gave me a group to coach. I, I still remember this. It was, you know, cut the red shirt group of guys. And he said, Hey, take these guys, show me your plan. I can give you advice, but I want you to coach them from now until this date. I can't remember what date it was, but we had a 3k on the indoor track. And so you just get them ready to run this 3k and you'll, you'll kind of learn from some of your mistakes and I'll help you along the way, but, uh, let's see what happens. Um, and so throughout that process as well, just kind of got a good sense of, uh, what, what worked, what didn't work and kind of the way he did things. Yeah. Was that pretty intimidating or did you feel ready at that point? Uh, no, I probably less intimidated back then. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of just a <laughs> cocky grad student thinking, oh yeah, I could do this. Um, and the guys, I mean, we still joke about it now. I mean, some of the guys are Tom Burns is still running, um, as a, senior uh, he went down to louisville and i think he crushed the 1503 k for the 40 to 45 division okay. um but we called ourselves the killer bees so that because they were the quote-unquote b group so <laughs> they i mean they accepted it and they weren't shy about it and they wanted to beat the a team and it was all healthy <laughs> you know it was healthy competition but they're like yeah coach Hines, whatever you got let's do it that's cool was it or is there any like awkwardness with having just been an athlete on the team I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, it was, they, um, I, cause I still did. Yeah. I mean, it was probably unusual this time. Like, I don't think I wouldn't encourage it nowadays, you know, and I tell you say nowadays, I mean, it was 20 years ago, but still feels a lot longer. Um, I was living with some upperclassmen and I was coaching the freshmen, but they, everyone respected me and I respected them. It was definitely, uh, not, it wasn't awkward at all. Like it just felt natural. Okay. So then your, your first official role was with Southeast Missouri state. If I'm well, correct. If I'm correct. That was, yeah. I mean, I, I ended up going to NAU as a graduate assistant coach mm, okay. from so Indiana coach Chapman, new coach man and coach man was looking for a grad assistant. And I thought, again, I talked talking about being cocky as a grad student. I thought, well, I'll, I'll get a master's degree from Indiana. I'll be coach Chapman's volunteer. I'll have a job in no time. Well, there are no jobs for a volunteer coach from Indiana. So I went to Northern Arizona and I spent two years there as a grad assistant and kind of the same thing. I thought, well, shoot, I'll be the grad assistant at Northern Arizona, the top four team in the country. I'll get a job. No problem. And it came down to August of, okay. I think the, it was 2003. It was August. My grad assistant was done and I was getting ready just to move back home because I hadn't any no coaching jobs. And then Matt Sparks, who's at Notre Dame now, he was at Southern Illinois and he was the volunteer coach at IU before me. He called me in August. He said, Hey, would you need a job? And I said, yeah, I'll take anything. He goes, well, Southeast Missouri has a job. It's part-time, but I think I can get you an interview. And so mm -hmm. from there I ended up at Southeast. And yes, that was my first, first time coaching a group on my own. It was beginning of the part-time job. I was working at night at a fitness center and mowing lawns for the university in the summertime, but 
I actually did have my own group and I was recruiting and, and coaching. So that was, that was definitely the first, first group coaching. Yep. Okay. Is the job market for college coaching today still pretty similar? Is it pretty, pretty hard to get your foot in the door? I would say yes. I mean, from my experience, even, you know, when um, we've had people apply over the past, you know, two years for different jobs at Louisville, I mean, there's just so many people applying and then, you know, trying to look at the experience versus the fit. And I would, I would say that, yeah, you know, I guess it also the, of what you're looking for. And I think that that's probably more of what it was that I thought, I only thought of division one. And, you know, now that I've been doing this for a long time, there's plenty of opportunities at different divisions that are just as good at jobs. And again, it's kind of depends on what you're looking for in the job. Mm. And so for me, it was, I, my mindset was just, oh, I want to go to division one because that's where, you know, I see myself. That's where I think the best runners are going to be. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, I think, probably what led to maybe a, a little bit further uh, job search for me. Yeah. So obviously hindsight's 2020, but if you could go back, would you think you'd take a different path? Like, would you have started at maybe a lower division or things like that? You know what? I, in August of that year, if I would have had an opportunity just about anywhere, yeah, I probably, not probably, I would have taken it. And even that, the Southeast job, when Sparks called me, I laughed at him because I said, Southeast Missouri, I've never heard of that. And he said, it's in Cape <laughs> Girardeau. I said, I've never heard of Cape Girardeau. You know, where yeah. is this place? Um so, I mean, honestly, yeah, I think I, I did do that. And, you know, that ended up being a great job. Uh, you know, Coach Joey Haynes at the time is in the U.S. TFCCA Hall of Fame. He had, you know, he took the team from D2 to D1. So by the time I got there, they had been, been D1 uh, for numerous, like 10 years, I think. Um, so it ended up being, you know, a great stepping stone for me specifically. Yeah. So that time, like you said, in August, where you would have taken any job, were you even considering not? Like go, go in a different direction with your career or were you pretty, but you're still yeah. locked in on coaching? Yeah. So again, my, I was pretty much done. My lease was done in Flagstaff and my roommate who had been working two years as the grad assistant for sports info had already been promised the grad assistant for the coaching job. And so there was no opportunity there and I was getting ready to move back home. My dad owns a printing business. And so I thought, well, I can go back and help out with that, you know, unless I find something. So, yeah, I was prepared to do something else at that time. Okay. So you said that the first experience was good at, at Southeast Missouri. You had your own group, you were recruiting. Um, does anything stick out from that time? Any lessons learned or anything like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I was uh, a young coach and just the ability to make mistakes, I think, was great. It just in terms of like, I look back on that stuff and try to see how people responded to workouts. And by that, I mean, I, I still, even though I learned a ton from coach Chapman, I was still, I would get to a certain point in the year and I was like, well, it's end of the year. We need to run fast four hundreds. And, you know, I remember going into cross country meet and our team kind of falling flat. And I thought, ah, I look back at the training and I just was doing certain workouts that we hadn't done all year long. And I throw it in right before the biggest meet of the year. And they, mm fell on their face. Um, so I kind of look back on that. There are definitely some things that I started to develop um, in my training plans that I, I noticed worked and noticed didn't work. Um, and that, like I said, I work in the evenings at a fitness center. So I, that would just be constantly filling out notebooks with mm -hmm. like <laughs> weekly plans and what I should do on Tuesday, what I should do on Wednesday. Yeah, so that was, again, just an opportunity to really kind of get a lot of thoughts out. Yeah. 
So then after that, you ended up at TCU. How did yep. that opportunity come about? That's another good story because uh, my time as a grad assistant at Northern Arizona, Jeff Petersmeyer was the jumps coach and Southeast Missouri. Again, it was part-time job. Um, TCU was going to be a full-time job. And Jeff was there interviewing for the jumps coach at TCU. And I applied for it. I didn't hear anything back, um, but I thought that that would be a great, another stepping stone to where, okay, yeah, it's, uh, I think they were in the mountain West at the time. You know, it's, it's a bigger program, uh, really well-recognized sprint program. So track and field is pretty high level. So what Jeff was interviewing and I told him to put a good word in for me and he did. And then Daryl Anderson, he said, man, Eric Hines, that, that name sounds familiar. And he looks over and he says, oh yeah, I just threw his resume in the trash. So <laughs> pick, picks my resume out, looks it over, realizes that I was at Northern Arizona the same time he was at ASU. Jeff's again, put in a good word for me. So had a couple calls with with Daryl and then ultimately ended up uh, at TCU for a year. Okay. So that's yeah. a pretty big move. How was that transition to down South? I, yeah. You know, it was, I guess I was in that mode of, Hey, this is what coaches do. you got to move to, to find the right job. Um, now fast forward, like I've definitely have moved more than I expected to do. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure we can get into that later, but um the move to from CMO to TCU, it was definitely unique. I mean, that was it was cool, uh, you know, big time college football. And, you know, Fort Worth was a neat city. There was, you know, some pretty good running spots close to campus. It was a really good school, small school in terms of population, but really good academics. And so, um, you know, it was neat. It was still a challenge to recruit there, but at least it was recognizable. You could pick up the phone and kids knew who you were. They weren't always interested to talk, but at least they knew who what TCU was. Yeah. So were you playing a pretty similar role to what you were doing at Southeast Missouri? Yeah, I was uh, the head cross-country coach. I can't remember if they titled it that or not, but um, yeah, I was in charge of all the distance runners across country. Um, now there, we're much more um, sprint heavy, especially on the men's side. So our men's distance had one scholarship. We're at SEMO, we had a little bit more invested in, we could spread some academic money around to border states. So it was a little bit easier to recruit at SEMO actually. Um, but TCU, I followed, um, the, well, when I came in, the women's class had been a pretty good recruiting class. Pat Cuniff was there right before me and he had a great group of women coming in, footlocker finalists. And so, you know, stepped into a pretty good role um, although it was just one year, it was still, you know, a great experience for me. Yeah. So then you'd find your way back to, to NAU, um, yep. as the head cross country coach and assistant track coach. How did that opportunity come about to kind of come yeah. full circle? Yeah. So when, the, again, I was grad assistant in 2001, 2002 range. And at that time, the head, the sprint coach was JW Hardy. And so when Ron Mann went to Louisville, J-Dub got the head job. And so he was, um, you know, interviewing or actually, yeah, first I did interview for, I think the job when Ron went to Louisville, I interviewed to be J-Dub's assistant. But again, I didn't have much experience outside of being a grad assistant for two years at NAU and then a couple years at SEMO. And so then the job opened up to be the head cross country coach again and went through the interview process. Um, 
So again, knowing some of the staff out there, understanding altitude, um, you know, I, I wasn't the first choice, but the first candidate, you know, I went home, talked to his wife and then didn't take the job. So fortunately, Coach Hardy called me back and said, are we still good? And I said, yeah, absolutely. You're one of my mentors. You know, I'd love to work for you. He said, well, you've got the job if you still want it. Um, so that was a huge, uh, huge move, obviously, because I walked into a program that John Hayes had just recruited Lopez. Well, Lopez was already there, but he recruited David McNeil, who ended up being Olympian national champion at NAU and Ben Ashkettle, um, who was a, a, another Australian that came over with with Dave, uh, Eric Avila, who was a California state champ for two mile. So I walked into a great role uh, on that men's side and the women's side at a couple of international women that, you know, that women's team got seventh in the country that year. So, yeah, I walked into a really good situation. Yeah. How'd you, I know you had mentioned like when you were a volunteer assistant, grad assistant, didn't feel a ton of pressure. Like you felt like uh, the world was yours, but as like you said, it was a pretty big role you're stepping into. Did you feel confident? Did you feel like you still had a lot to learn? Like where were you at? Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I felt confident, but I felt like I was faking it most of the time. You know, <laughs> just as like, uh, I did not want to screw up and, you know, I felt like I had the tools. I had worked for Ron Mann at Flagstaff. So I kind of knew the places to run. I knew what he had done. Uh, Coach Chapman was a huge proponent of altitude training. He's done a ton of research on altitude training. So I had him and, you know, the hit him in my back pocket, so to speak. So I had, I felt like I had the confidence, but at the same time, I'd never done it. And so I still had to act, uh, act a little bit that I knew what I was doing until I actually did it and get some confidence from the team. Yeah. So I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Cause I'm curious about this. Um, you ran in the 2008 Olympic trials for the marathon. Um, how long after you had graduated from IU, did you continue training pretty seriously? And are you still running pretty seriously? Yeah, that is funny. Uh, because I say it's funny because I trained on and off seriously. And so you could look at pictures of me one month and I'd be 150 pounds. And then six months later, I'd be 190 pounds, you know, and I just, you know, so yeah, I was trained really seriously during graduate school at Indiana. Um, Cause I was working as it was the team in training was coached by Matt uh, Ebersol. Um, he was a manager. Uh, I can't remember exactly his title manager owner from athletic annex and he was doing a lot of that stuff. And so he coached me and then I did his, I was an assistant coach for that group. He coached me to the half marathon and marathon stuff. And I just loved it. And so I was doing that a ton through the finish up graduate school. And then um, when I went to NAU the first time, you know, I thought it'd be cool to train at altitude. So I did that a little bit, but then kind of got busy and distracted, didn't train for a while went to Southeast Missouri State. And I think that was one of your questions uh, that you had primed me for was, did you train with a team? And mm -hmm. I, when I went to, I finished up my time at NAU and I just kind of had this idea that wherever I go, I'm probably going to be at a smaller school and I want to make sure that I'm as good as anybody on that team. <laughs> and so I trained myself and got in pretty good shape. Um, so yeah, when I went to SEMO that I could go run with the guys, if it was a certain workout or a certain run that I could do. So I trained, kind of on and off. And then what happened was, yeah, I actually, again, because SEMO was a, a part-time job, I had December's off. So I went to Flagstaff and I trained for a month. And then I went down to Phoenix to race the 
the Phoenix rock and roll um, to get, and I ended up running 221 to get my qualifier, the B, the B time, but still is a qualifier to me. And um, <laughs> so that was just wild because that was the first possible time to qualify for the trials because it was January of 06, maybe. So, I mean, it was really early. Oh, wow. So then, so I was, I had three different jobs between the time I qualified and actually raced the trials because <laughs> I was right. working for Southeast went to TCU. So at that point I wasn't training a whole lot. And then I get the job at NAU and I realized, Hey, the trials are coming up and I'm at altitude. I might as well take advantage of this. Yeah. So I was putting in about 80 miles a week and the trials were the weekend between conference and regionals. So it was just everything lined up to where I could do both. That's really cool. Was it hanging over your head for those two years or were you excited <laughs> about it? Or I, I was excited, but at the same time I was I was thinking, how, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to train? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to find, you know, my lifelong job and how am I going to do all this? So I'd say it just, like I said, it kind of came and went. It was fortunate that I got it done so early because then I didn't have to worry about it. But, and then again, everything kind of lined up to where, Hey, I'm, I'm in Flagstaff and back at 7,000 feet. So I don't have to do as much to build up my fitness. Um, so I remember thinking, I just want to go in there. I think there are 130 entries and I just wanted to be top half. And I was, I don't know if I was exactly half, but I was 65 to 70. So I was pretty close to hitting my goal of just finishing the top half of the, the trials. That's cool. Where were the trials at? That year was in New York City. Oh, okay. So it was really cool because they did it the before the New York City Marathon, the day before. <clears throat> and so we did a lap around Central Park. It was a six mile lap. And so I had friends and family, they could walk across the park and see me twice each lap oh cool that's really mm -hmm. cool um so after like two or three years it looks like you became the director of track and field and cross country at northern arizona um was that role much different than what you were doing and how did that come about yeah so that was a pretty unique situation because again yeah i was i was jw's head cross country coach and the way they had it there was kind of like we have here that he's the director of track and field and cross country and then i'm the head cross country coach so if we go to meet like the big sky and we win then i get the accolades you know so he he wanted that for his distance coach no matter who it was um and so yeah for two years i was his distance coach and i told him i'd be his distance coach as long as i could and he got recruited by boise state to go up there and so he had kind of gone back and forth about whether he was going to take that job or not. And If you'd like to continue listening to this episode of the podcast, you'll need to subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Indiana runner. Once you do, you'll get access to all full length episodes of the interview portion of the podcast. In addition to other subscriber only content, including extra content on race previews and recaps, book club episodes, the ability to ask my guests questions and much more. Thanks again for listening to and supporting this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you on Patreon.